transforming our generation through the local church. We are focusing on what has God, has, what has God called us to do as a local church. And we can start with Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. In the NLT version says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Uh, so we see that the, the church is the instrument that God is using to change the world. In fact, if you look at it in the message version, this is what it says. It starts from verse 23. The message version says, All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt, exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. Listen to this. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Hallelujah. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Hallelujah. I like that. So the church is not a signed issue. The church is at the center, amen, of everything that God is doing in the world. So Christ uses the church to accomplish his purposes in the world. The Christ uses the church to accomplish his purposes, and you and me are in the church, amen? So he is looking at us, that through us in the local church, we will accomplish his purposes for our generation, amen? So if you remember last year, Pastor Kara, uh, the theme of a series of messages she ministered to us was, Lord, how can we be more useful? You remember that? Let's say, toge let's say it together. Say, Lord, how can I be more useful? Amen. That's, I hope you've not forgotten. Are you still pursuing that vision? How can I be more useful? Amen. You see, Christ is using the church to influence the world if I am useful in the local church, then I am useful to the Lord. You, you see that? We are saying God is using the church. Christ is using the, the church to influence the world. So if I'm in the church, then if I'm useful in the local church, then I'm useful to Christ. And then I will be used to influence my generation. Amen? So... Basically, what you are saying is, Lord, how can I serve your purpose in my generation through the local church? Hallelujah. So, you, you remember that, therefore, you as a member, you know, the church is not a building. The church is you and me. Amen. And so, essentially, uh, I'm get, trying to get the right words for it. The church is not this building. The church is everything that you are doing in your life because you are the agent of Christ through the church to the world. So everywhere I go, everywhere you go, what are we representing? The church. People, when they see us, what do they see? They see the church. They see Jesus. They see God. And so when we say, Lord, how can I be more useful? It's in everything, every area of our lives. Hallelujah. And so, look at, let's look at Acts chapter 13, verse 36. We see an example of David. This is what it says in Acts 13, 36. This is the Amplified Classic Version. It says, for David, after he had served God's will and purpose and counsel in his own generation, fell asleep in death. Do you see that? And David served what? God's will and purpose and counsel in his generation. That should be our heart's desire. Going back to what he was saying, purpose. Purpose. He purposed to do God's will, to serve God in his generation. Amen. And so, that's what I want. I want it to be said of me that Francis did what? 
served God's will and purpose in our generation. That's the mission of the church. Amen? And if you look at it, the pre, uh, if you go back there, Acts 13.22, in God's one's translation, Acts 13.22 says, God removed Saul and made David their king. God spoke favorably about David. He said, I have found that David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Hallelujah. That's how to be useful. How, how was David useful in his generation? He did everything God wanted him to do. And God knew it. Amen. I like that. God removed who? Saul. Say, I'm not going to be removed. My testimony will be that others are removed. Amen. And I am doing, I'm, I'm what? I'm put in there. You see that? So, if you look at that scripture, what you're saying is, God has found the church to do everything he wants. That is the purpose of the church. God wants to act. Remember, the church is at the center. So God has found the church, and he has found you and me in the church. And therefore, when we are useful in the local vision, then we are useful to God, and his purposes will be accomplished. Amen. So uh, it is not how ambitious you are, you know. God will remove people and put you there. The question is, are you willing to do everything God wants you to do? Amen. Am I willing to do what God wants me to do? In our vision as a local church is loving others first through kindness, generosity, and compassion. Loving others through kindness, generosity, and compassion. What do we do? We teach and preach the word. We provide skilled, spirit-led praise and worship. We evangelize and equip the next generation through outreaches and education, you know, KSCF, uh, gospelizing to others. We provide anointed dynamic children's church and youth ministry. We engage in compassionate works of mercy, especially on behalf of Israel, orphans, and the windows. So my question is, how useful are you in all this? How are you serving God in all this? Because this is the vision of the church. And we know God is using this church to touch lives. You remember last week, Pastor Davis uh, ministered to us about reaching out to vulnerable children through our home, as well as what? HLA, HLA the Kilimanjaro team, you know, the friends of our home. What are we doing? We are coming together and connecting with this vision, being useful to God. Do you agree that the church has been useful to the orphans? And the children come into HRA. So what are we doing? We are coming. Remember, uh, I won't go into that, but really part of what Pastor Kara ministered to us also is that the vision requires what? Funding. So by funding this mission, by funding HRA, by funding our home, what are we doing? We are doing God's will and purpose, and he will remove other people and position us to places of influence to change this generation. Amen. Hallelujah. So, uh, something else that Pastor Kara had brought up last year is that you give the love of God. You and me cannot fulfill the will of God, his purposes in our generation, when we are self-centered. You see, when you are self-centered and you are only thinking about yourself, then you will not fulfill, or I will not fulfill God's purpose. And uh, this is something she brought up uh, in, in a meeting with the, with the youth. And she said, being an adult means you develop generosity. Generosity is the opposite of being self-centered. <laughs> you are, you are, you are generous. How, how do we know children are growing up? Because they are, if, if you visit a, a home, it's normal. You see a child holding something, you say, give me that, give me that. And the children, if they are withholding, we are trying to teach them how to do what? To give. We know you are an adult when we don't have to coax you to give. <laughs> you, they, they don't come to your home and play that. Does somebody come to your home and say, oh, Daniel, give me that, and test whether you'll give them that? You ought to be an adult. It should not be an issue. But when you are dealing with a child, you are not sure whether they understand giving, whether they understand what generosity is. So a big mark of our being adults is our generosity. 
Hallelujah. And so, generosity goes, again, it's being self-centered. Amen? So, it's, uh, it's something that we, we got to, to develop, to connect with our vision. We, we, are, we are going to have to be to develop, to develop generosity. Give your life away to others. Give first and give continually. For example, when you are giving uh, of tithes and offerings, uh, friends of our home, ETC, what are we doing? It's key to our influence in our generation through the local church. Amen. You understand your giving. The, the, the people who are coming to the compound and receiving from the compassion fund, you are a part of that. The church, this building empty, cannot give. It cannot influence other people's life. But when you are connected to that vision, then you are useful to God. You are changing a generation. Amen. Hallelujah. So, uh, let me put, say this. Become God-centered. I want to make a slight distinction here. When you say don't be self-centered, sometimes people think you need to be other people-centered. That's another ditch. Because now you are walking sensitive to every other opinion in this world. But when you are God-centered, say, praise the Lord. Say, I'm God-centered. Now you are at the center of God's will. You are not pleasing yourself. You are not out to please others. You are out to please God, and then you are able to reach others. Amen. So the, the church is first about God, pleasing God first, and through that, uh, the church helps other people. Let's look at Job 22, 21 to 25 in the mes message version. This is what it says. Job 22, 21 to 25, the message version. Give in to God. Come to terms with him and everything will turn out just fine. Isn't that lovely to hear in this season of all these things happening in the world? That when I give in to God and come to terms with him, everything will turn out just fine. Listen to this. Let him tell you what to do. Take his words to heart. Come back to God Almighty, and he will rebuild your life. Clean house of everything evil. Listen to this. Relax your grip on your money <laughs> and abandon your gold-plated luxury. God Almighty will be your treasure, more wealth than you can imagine. Hallelujah. Say, that is mine. That is me. Hallelujah. I am known for being generous. I have relaxed my what? Grip on what? My money. Actually, it's for a Christian, we need not be saying my money. We should be stewards. We should be saying God's money. Amen. And uh, the second key she had given us here is that the Holy Spirit is here to help us be useful to God. The Holy Spirit is here to help us to fulfill God's purpose, to be useful to him. So you need the Holy Spirit. You cannot fulfill divine purpose without the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says in the New King James Version, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Amen. The extent to which we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit is the extent to which we are useful to God. The extent to which we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. That is the extent to which we are useful to God. Remember that scripture in Job 22 says, give, uh, give in to God. Yield to God. Yield to the Holy Spirit. What does that position you into? An agent of God in this world. Amen? And so, uh, um, let me say this. Don't grieve him, the Holy Spirit, by complaining being in strife, fasting, and forgiveness, looking disinterested. All those things are actually related to being self-centered. If you are full of the Holy Spirit, you will actually not be full, uh, you'll not be self-centered. You'll be willing to be led by the Holy Spirit because he's the one who knows what we should be doing and you'll avoid all these uh, negative issues. Listen, the Holy Spirit blends our diversity into harmony not animosity. The Holy Spirit, he will blend our diversity into what? His harmony. And then 
we will not have any sort of animosity. So it's really, if you look at all the scriptures that I've shared and all that, you, you see there's a thread here, yielding to God. Letting him raise you up. David was not fighting Saul to take over his place. God removed who? Saul and positioned David. Why? David was yielded to God. Amen. And so, uh, and so he could be a witness in his generation. He is bold in his generation, the things he was doing. The first ever promotion I got, I learned I was a young believer, just started coming here to this church and hearing the word of faith. And uh, I, I, the, so I got uh, in, in, the, in the, where I was working, there were changes. There was a new boss uh, over us, the, the entire unit and uh, department. So they were organizing uh, the units within that department. And uh, so I am there, and uh, there are other people, of course. Uh, and then there was a vacant position. My immediate boss left. And there was, um, I was the most experienced person, uh, technically, who could succeed him. But there were other people who were more qualified. They were newer than me. And there was all kind of, you know, stuff going on. Who will take this position? And for the first time, I remember it clearly because it's the first time I used my faith. You know you can be promoted without faith. I mean, there are people getting promotions all the time. They're not using their faith. But this one, I got it by faith, right? So I, 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 I said, I'm going to believe God for, for this thing. Because I couldn't get it in any other way. I, I mean, the guys who are more qualified, the new boss did not know me. And so uh, they issued a memo, an internal memo. And in that memo, they, they had all these units and the new people heading them. And uh, the unit where I was, they wrote the name of the department. The new person was left blank. And then written at the end, their TBA to be advised. So I took the memo. And uh, of course, now there's talk all over. <laughs> Whoa, I mean, people are really scheming how to get this thing. And I, I, in the natural, it's easy to get uh, pulled into that. Did you hear what so-and-so said? Can you imagine? You are here and they think they'll take over the job. What are you doing about it and all that? So I went home. I got that memo and uh, uh, photocopied it. I went home to my wife and I said, you know what? Good news today. I got promoted. She said, oh, you did? <laughs> Said, yeah, praise the Lord. Said, they were issuing letters today. She said, you have a letter? I said, yeah, sure, yeah. She looked at it. Said, your name is not here. <laughs> I said, do you have a pen? She said, yeah. I took her pen. The place where it was blank, I put my name, Francis Nderi. I said, here it is. She said, you are the one who has put it there. <laughs> She had not yet seen what I had seen. I said, don't worry. You wanted to see a name? There you have it. The position is mine. We start rejoicing and celebrating this promotion. And uh, I am telling you, that night, Pastor Davis, overnight, God did such a deep work in me. When I woke up the following morning, I knew exactly what I'm going to do. I went and called these other guys where we were competing for this position. You see, I knew quite a lot. I knew the projects that were in the pipeline. I knew all the details that we've been working with the outgoing boss. And I wasn't going to tell them that, because if there are interviews, this is what I'm going to depend on. <laughs> I called them. He said, guys, hey, hey, hey. Let me share with you some things. Here are all the plans, all the details, all the whatever. We, I booked for them a, a taxi. We went to several branches just showing them everything. They were looking at me like, what happened to you? I knew the job is mine. I wasn't trying to compete with them. Listen, when you are doing what God's will is, and you're walking in the love of God, and you're not self-centered, God will remove all your position and will put you where you're supposed to be. 
I'm telling you by the end of that week I had my letter, not a memo now, a letter. Francis Ndedi Gituro, you have been appointed this and this. Hallelujah. Went with it home, said, doubting Thomas, do you now believe the final result? <laughs> no, she wasn't doubting, but she didn't know. See, see, when you are in God's will and purpose, you are not competing with anyone. God will compete for you. Hallelujah. That is why it's so necessary that you walk in love free of all strife and animosity with the people. Do you know why you quarrel with the people? You think they can affect you. You think they can affect your promotion. You think they can affect your wellness. You think, no. You are aligned with God. You are at the center of God's will. You are achieving results through the local church. God fights for you. Hallelujah. Can somebody shout amen? Uh, the third point I want to bring out and spend a bit, uh, a little bit more time here is that we are, is to the, say this, we are God's agents in transforming the world through the church. We are God's agent in transforming the world through the church. Now, how is this going to happen? It's going to happen as we confront evil and influence the world for Christ. We will not serve our generation by conforming to the world. A person who is compromised by the world cannot serve the interests of Christ. It's a double-minded person. They are trying to please the world and please Christ. Let's look at this scripture in uh, Romans 12, 2. It's a common scripture. You, I know you know about it. But uh, Romans 12, 2 in the NLT version first, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let me read it in the message version. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Listen, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Amen. Here is the point. Compromise, conforming to the world, does not happen in the big things. It starts with the small, everyday, ordinary things. You need to understand that. Because when we are, we are being transformed, we are thinking about the big things. But it's the everyday common things where you end up compromising on the word of God. Amen? So you, you got to start changing your way of thinking and see yourself as an agent of God in this world through the local church. Amen? Uh, let me quote John Maxwell. This is what he says in one of his blogs. Sociologists tell us the most introvert of people will influence 10,000 others in an average lifetime. Our lives shape the people around us in profound ways, whether we intend to or not. We affect others through our influence. Point at your neighbor, tell them you have influence. Of at least 10,000 people. You see now how, where are those 10,000 people? They are in the matatu when you get in there. They are when you are you're fueling your car. You are influencing people. They are, they are uh, in your home. <laughs> Remember uh, Dr. Mukoru was saying, before we give you a position in church, perhaps we, sh we should go home and ask the house girl. Says, uh, we want to make so and so a deacon. And then he says, I, who your mama? Rabdam say. Ah, mama Nikali. You know, so we, 
So, you know, we, we, <laughs> you are talking about the mother. Uh-uh. Maybe the dad. I mean, I cannot. So, or the other way around. So, the thing is, you are influencing people. At least 10,000 as a minimum. So, you, when it says do not conform to this world, it's in everything that you are doing. It's in your workplace. I remember years ago when the Lord impressed on my heart when the lady comes serving tea. The tea was bought by the company, but the snacks you bought. Uh, so the, the tea was free. The snacks are not free. Uh, if you say, give me a samosa, you'll be surprised. They come back with a list saying, you ate a samosa. Where is the money? Say, oh, it was not the company? No. <laughs> and I, the Lord had put it in my heart, don't ever uh, give someone less than 50 shillings as a, as a tip. Right? So how much is a samosa? 20 shillings. And the tip is going to be how much? I don't want the samosa. I'll stay without it. Just give me the tea. <laughs> so, because the samosa looks like it's becoming too expensive if I'm going to obey God. But if I know that I'm working with God, and I believe God is going to influence this person serving this tea through my what? Generosity, then I don't have a problem. I am flowing in what? God's will, and I'm out to please him. Amen. So, in the ordinary course of things, people will see your generosity. You've heard me share this. I used to park somewhere, and the other guy drove in and said, how come you always get parking here? She said, I don't know. That. I drive in, they show me. Mkubwa, come park here. Him, he says, I drive round, round, round. They just watch me. <laughs> he said, I think you give them something. I said, I think you don't give them anything. Then you drive round, 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 and drive off and cast them. And you are an ungodly influence. Miss, you go up at your pesa, right. Then you'll drive round and round the block. <laughs> it's your choice. Amen? So don't conform to a mean world. Let your generosity be known everywhere you go. You will influence people. You give because you have, because God has blessed you. Amen. Meanness has nothing to do with what you have. It's the state of your heart, your mind. God will multiply what you sow. Amen. Hallelujah. So, uh, I'm just saying, how are you going to influence 10,000 people? It's everything you are doing on a constant, continuous basis. Amen. When you change your thought and you see how many people you are able to influence for the kingdom of God, then you'll become more committed. You become, act you see, the 10,000 is by default. When you actively uh, give yourself your prayers, your talents, your finances, your time through the church, you affect millions in your generation. You affect millions in your generation. The person, the, the guard you affected, the house girl you affected, they go and affect other people. So the multiplied effect is a lot. And you see, if you don't do that, the world is influencing them for evil. Hallelujah. Say, I'm an influencer. Have you ever seen those social media influencers? I'm told they are paid 300 shillings and they write nasty stuff about somebody. Okay, don't quote me. But the thing is, it's not like they get a lot. But you can, not you can, you are influencing people. You just need to be active and influence them for Christ. Amen? So, if you are Christ-centered and you are trans, uh, Christ-centered transformation has to confront evil in their generation. We, we have, if we are going to cause this Christ transformation, we are going to confront evil in the world. We are going to challenge customs in this world. Uh, Let's look at one particular aspect of confronting, and this is confronting the enemy outside in our generation. Uh, let's look at First uh, Samuel 17, verse 26. This is about uh, an external enemy who was challenging Israel, and David, you remember we, we read about David in the book of Acts, in his generation stepped up to challenge Goliath. And what, how, how does that start in verse 26? It says, David talked. So David was sent, you know, the story was sent by his dad to take some food to his brothers who are fighting. Uh, suppose they were supposed to be fighting. 
But if you read that, that, that chapter, you realize they were not fighting. Every time Goliath showed up, what happened? They all ran and hid, including King Saul and his entire army. Okay, these guys were also in the army. So David has brought his brothers some meal, and no, now he's beginning to talk to some of them who are standing there. Goliath showed up, and David saw everybody scatter. And so he's now saying, uh, talking to some of the others, that's where we are picking it at, uh, at uh, verse 26. David talked to some, other, uh, to some others standing there to verify, to verify the report. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and putting an end to his abuse of Israel? He asked them, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? So what we see here is that David wants to honor God. Amen? He's saying this Philistine is defying the army. Who is the Philistine? He's an external threat. All right? Uh, let's go to verse 31 and 33 in the NLT version. Verse 31 and 33. I'll skip some of these because of time. It says, Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent to him, Don't worry about this. Uh, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. Why, what is the characteristic of a Goliath in our generation? It's a situation for which there is no natural answer. So, Saul cannot fight Goliath or doesn't want, doesn't believe he is able to fight him. Neither does the entire army of Israel. But here comes a boy and he says, come on, I'm going to confront the enemy of God's people in my generation. What is he going to use to achieve victory? In this case, you and me are being called to up into another source of power because there are no natural solutions. So I'm going to have to depend on God. I'm going to have to step out by faith and believe God for the victory. Amen? That's what David is doing. That's what we are called in our generation to do as part of the local church is to challenge the enemy of God's work in our generation by faith. Amen? Hallelujah. So he's saying don't worry. Worry will steal God revision and magnify Satan. Worry. The, 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 the soul and the army were seeing Goliath and how big he was. David was seeing how good God is, how powerful God is. His vision was not colored. God wants us to have a very clear vision a very clear vision of what he is able to do through us in our generation. Because in every generation, there is a Goliath. In every generation, there is a problem that cannot be solved through normal means. Look at corruption in Kenya. We've tried all manner of things. What is required? Godly men, godly women with a vision of God who will stand in their positions and solve our problems. Amen. Thank God for BBI, but I'm not sure how far it will go. It will require godly character. BBI will not change our character. Men have to be changed in their hearts. What is going, that, what is going to take that? The word of God. The power of God. Amen? And so, we see that, uh, 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 and there, you, you, you go through verse 17, uh, verse 40, it says how he picked the smooth stones, then verse 45 uh, He's talking to the Philistine. He said, uh, I'm reading verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin. What is that? Natural stuff. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. That is what? Supernatural dimension. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I'll kill you and cut off your head, and then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know 
that there is God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and, I'll, and, and, I, uh, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved, moved, moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his string and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell down on the ground. Hallelujah. So, David is fighting the Lord's battle. Amen. Let me ask you, whose battle are you fighting? Are you fighting your own battles? Or are you fighting the Lord's battle? You see how he identified the problem. He looked at the problem and said, this is not about me and my ability. This is about God and his ability. Hallelujah. You see that? So, let me ask, uh, so, David said today, he looked at Goliath, he said today, this is my question to you, are you postponing confrontations? For how long will you stay with the current situation that, that is facing your life, facing your family, facing your community, facing your nation? For how long will you continue? See, David had not done any kind of warm-up. You know, actually, I think the boy was talking too much. You know, we had a men's meeting yesterday, and we were encouraged to talk more. <laughs> I remember Dr. Mukorwe saying, there is no honor in uh, a man of few words. <laughs> but <clears throat> I, I was with Kevin Kamenju. <clears throat> And confronted Daniel. I said, Daniel, are you saying we are to be like women? Chop, 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 chop all the time. Can you imagine a group of, a group of men handled together giggling? <laughs> I, said, I said, Dr. Daniel, we are not going to do that. It was on a light note. What he was saying is this. You ought to be talking to God all the time. Amen. There's a man of God. He said, if I'm not sharing with anyone, I'm talking to God all the time. Amen. That's not talking and giggling and gossiping. No. <laughs> he is talking to God. This man was talking big. How he'll take on Goliath. He would have looked at him and say, hey, this boy is only the mouth. He's so talking, so he's talking big things. <coughs> and the boy, the Goliath is there dominating the landscape. So what we are supposed to do is talk the talk of God. Amen. Not talk the talk that is in the world, but talk what God is, is setting us to do. So, are you postponing confrontation? Today, God wants you to rise up in his power and take steps of faith. And the first step of faith you take in confronting any situation is start talking faith. Hallelujah. That's what he did. He came talking. They're hiding. He says, Okay, what, what is going to be done to whoever takes this guy down? Walks over to Saul, says, don't worry, boys, I'll take him down. And, and Saul doesn't even know him. Look at, look at uh, uh, verse uh, 55 to 56 in the NLT version. says, uh, as Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner. Abner was the commander of the army. He asked Abner, the commander of, of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? I really don't know, Abner declared. Well, find out who he is, the king told him. See, after he had slain Goliath, after his big talk, what happened? Now they know who he is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They may not know you, but they will soon find out you are a child of God. Hallelujah. God needs you and me to win so we can make him what? Famous. That's why God wants you to win. It's not so you can become somebody or become something, but people will know your father and know he can do great and mighty things. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
The second enemy you have to deal with is confronting the enemy within in our generation. So there is an enemy without, but there is also an enemy within. In 1 Kings 18 to 21, in the message version, talking about Elijah, you remember again, this is a long story. If you read all of it, this man, Elijah, uh, Elijah had walked into the king's palace in, uh, in chapter 17 and walked in there and said, hey, everybody, I'm paraphrasing. This is not how it is written. Said, it's not going to rain until I say so. They said, uh, who are you? He said, Elijah the Tishbite. The who? Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite. You are not from Safaricom? No. You are not from some multinational thing? No. I'm just Elijah the Tishbite. It's not going to rain. Bye. The boy walked off. Three and a half years, it's not rained. Now he's coming. He told, he told the king, get your whole cabinet. And everybody who is called who, let's meet for a challenge. And so they are meeting here, and this is what it says in, a, in, a, in, a, in verse, uh, where am I? verse 21 in the message version. Elijah challenged the people. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the little God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. Nobody said a word. Nobody made a move. This is what the NIV says. It says, how long will you waver between two opinions? God's word translation says, how long will you try to have it both ways? The Easter tree version says, how long will you keep jumping from one side to another? Today, you are talking big. Tomorrow, you are like a rain on cut. You have you have quit talking. You are talking like the world. Today you say, by stripes, praise God, I'm healed. Tomorrow you say, this disease is killing me. So, you are jumping from one thing to another. And this is what we need to understand. Amen? Confronting indecision. If you are undecided, there is a false God involved. If you are undecided on things, there is a, there is a lie you have believed somewhere. So why were these people doing this? They were on one time believing God, the other time they were believing in Baal. Why? Baal is an idol. It's false worship. Amen? And so, Elijah is having to confront them. And look at verse 24 says, then he's telling them now to prepare a sacrifice and says, then you call on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is good, right? So the prophets of Baal, if you read all of that, you find they were doing all manner of things, cutting themselves and shouting and doing cartwheels and jumping around and nothing happening. They were attracting attention to themselves. When Elijah stepped up there, he prayed to God. And he said, uh, uh, let me see, verse, verse, 30, uh, verse 37 to 39. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hands back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and they licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amen. So after this, when Elijah prayed, he's not drawing attention to himself. He's drawing, drawing attention to who? To God. Amen. Hallelujah. Sometimes, now, after he did this, he prayed at the rain, and it rained. Here is the point. Sometimes you have to deal with things inside before you can change the outside. So the, 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 the false worship they were involved in was what the cause of the drought. Of course, he had said it, but he was doing it to tell them God is more powerful than Baal. And when he prayed now, 
it, it, it rained. And so you see that, I, I trust you can see that. So what are we saying? If God is going to use us in our generation, through the local church, we are solving external problems, hallelujah, and we are also having to deal with internal issues. There is a man, Pastor Davis, I, I know I mentioned him to you before, called Rhys Howells, and they say he was in Zimbabwe. He was in the border, I think, between Mozambique and Malawi, somewhere there. That's where they had a mission. And the men would not come to church. Do you know why? Things really don't change much. The, the men, dowry was a big thing. So basically they were selling off girls to get wealthy. And so the missionaries come and say, you can do that. So the men stayed away from the church. He said, I think he was there for, I don't know how many years, and there were no men coming to church. No amount of out outreach would reach them. So he, then what happened? The Spanish flu happened. You know what the Spanish flu? It was their COVID-19 that time. The Spanish flu. And when the Spanish flu came, missionaries were dying in other places. And it finally came to the city, to the center where this missionary was. And then the tribal chief sent his men to the missionary and asked, how many, do you have many sick people? He said, yeah, I have a few people who are sick. They said, has anybody died? He said, no, nobody has died. They said, how many do you think will die? He said, nobody will die here. I said, okay. He asked them, are there people sick in your villages? They said, yeah. Are they, are they dying? Yeah. How many have died? They said, many. He said, you are witches. You know? Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of witch, witch doctors in Kariobangi. But, no, okay. Muganga <laughs> from Jerusalem. Where they come from? Tanzania. New one from Kitui. He said, Aren't they able to solve this problem? They said, our ancestors never dealt with this spirit. So our witch doctors don't know what to do. So they left. After several weeks, they came back. They said, how many people are sick around here? He said, a number of people are sick. How many have died? He said, nobody has died. They said, nobody has died? He said, no. He said, uh, they said... Uh, He's, he, he, he said, are people going to die here? Remember, every people are dying. You know, like those reports you are seeing in Europe. He said, nobody will die in this station. I told you before, nobody will die here. Okay. He asked them, are there many people sick in your villages? Yeah. Are they continuing to die? They said, yeah, many, many, many. So they grouped together. Then they came back to him and they said... <clears throat> Let us ask you, if we come with our chief, this is what the chief wants to do. If he comes here and we come with him, will we die? He said, if you come here and you admit that my God is more powerful than your witch doctors, you will not die. He said, they said, that's a good deal. <laughs> they left and in a moment the chief was just hiding behind the hills. They all came with their caravans and wagons, and the church was full of men from there onwards. What was he doing? Influencing that generation through the power of God. Amen. So there's a solution to everything we are facing. If only we will look. But you see, they had to acknowledge. He had to put that very clearly. You've got to acknowledge. If you don't want to die, man... And men don't want to die, I'm telling you. See, if you don't want to die, you accept that my God is the real God. And then you'll be saved. And they did. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So I don't know what is holding you from turning your life over to God. But let's look at Ephesians in conclusion, Ephesians 5, 13 to 17, in the Amplified Version. Ephesians 5, 13 to 17. It says... 
But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light of God's precepts. For it's light that makes everything visible. For this reason, he says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine as dawn upon you and give you light. Therefore, see that you walk carefree, living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise, but as the wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people, making the very most of your time on earth recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. Hallelujah. That's my challenge to you. There are many challenges. What challenge are you dancing to today? There are people dancing to challenges. Here is my challenge to you. Arise awake from every kind of thing that has made you passive towards the things of God. And connect. You see, for instance, uh, just a quick example. Oh, Charles is down there. Charles, Eric, Dan, they go out after the savage, gospelizing, ministering on the street. Between here and, uh, and the, the, the shopping center there, they have won like 20 souls. Do you know that is happening today? It's been happening? I asked one lady who went with them, Pastor Davis, how, how was it was. She said, those boys, those men are aggressive. Once they get hold of a sinner, they are not letting go. <laughs> and, and, and they are excited. You know, I think they're, they're, so there is a lot that is happening in the body of Christ. If we are awake to what God wants us to do, it's very easy for us to deliver the mission of this church. Amen? Rise up on your feet. And I want us to make this confession. I want you to lift your hand and say this. Hallelujah. Praise God. Say, I am living a life of honor, purpose, and courage. I shun those who tolerate and enable evil. I am making the very most of my time on earth. I'm recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence to transform my generation in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for your word to us this morning. And even that, as we have confessed and believed, Lord, our lives are being changed, oh God. That the 10,000 that each one of us are supposed to be, to be at least minimum influencing. That we are rising up to the challenge and understanding that every day and every moment we are to live for you, influencing this world, this generation for Christ. We take this challenge by faith. We take this challenge by faith and believe that through the Holy Spirit, we are able to accomplish much more than we can ever think or imagine. As a congregation, we take hold of the vision that you've given to our pastors and rededicate our lives afresh and believe you, Father, for supernatural outcomes. We declare it's a new beginning, it's a new day, and that we are stepping into new levels of manifesting the kingdom of God through this local church in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.